Good evening. I would have liked to finish the series this week, but I'm afraid I don't think we'll manage. Um, everything takes a bit longer than I imagined it would. Uh, we're in the process of trying to understand the different halakhas of cosmetics and other areas of uh, beautification that are relevant to Shabbos and Yom Tov and perhaps outside of Shabbos and Yom Tov as well, which will be uh, quite a, a large part of the share this evening. So let's just run briefly through what that which we discussed in the previous year two weeks ago, and then we'll move on to the areas that we still haven't quite completed. We discussed, with regards to cosmetics, uh, in, in the previous shurim, the problems of wearing any type of cosmetic on Shabbos or placing any type of makeup on on Shabbos. The, the two primary surim which one is going to encounter when one tries, if one attempts to place any, any type of makeup on Shabbos is the Issa of Tzeveah and the Issa of Memareach and therefore we went through a list of different cosmetics um, for instance we started off with foundations that the foundation uh, which is a usually a powder but I was told after to share by a certain beautician who was in the crowd last week um, that the foundations come in all different shapes, sizes and forms nowadays it's not just powders and they're not, they're not just uh, used with uh, sponges and uh, and brushes where they come in, in, in stick form and they come in all different types of um, shapes and sizes and therefore just as the Shulchan Aruch tells us that it's forbidden for a woman to wear any type of makeup uh, the, the Shulchan Aruch talks about shrak which is a, some type of reddish um, type of mud which they wore on their head I don't know what on the face I don't know what it was some type of reddish powder which they wore on their face it's forbidden to, to place that on one's face because there's an Isid Sevea and the Mishnah Bura discusses whether that's an Isid Eraisa or Isid Rabbanon. We discuss at length whether the face is considered a face which is normal to color or it is not, it's unusual to color because don't forget to, be, to transgress a biblical command of Sevea. It has to be a medium and a background which is normal and therefore the discussion is, is it a, a normal background for Sevea? Is it not normal? And the Mishnah Bura came to the conclusion that most parts can take on it's not a normal, this is not a a, uh, an attack on women wearing makeup at all. It's not a normal background for Inisid Sever and therefore to, to wear any sort of makeup on one's face is only Inisid Drabonon, but at least Inisid Drabonon there will be, and therefore to place any, any type of foundation on one's face, we discussed it will be a problem of, of Sever if it's a hard form of foundation, or blush if it comes in, in any types of forms of where there's an Isim Marech, you will transgress an Isim Marech as well, that's that, the Isim of spreading of smoothing on, on Shabbos. We discussed the problem with eyeshadow and, eye, and eyeliners and lip liners, where again, all those have the same problem of memareach and memareach and severe. If it comes in liquid form and they're, they're applied with a sponge, which some of the makeups do, then not only will it be over severe or memareach, if it's liquid, it won't be memareach, but you'll be over a problem with because you'll be absorbing in the sponge some of the liquid makeup, whatever it may be, and when you apply it to your face, you're going to end up squeezing out of the sponge the liquid, and you'll be over an issue of squeezing as well. Without getting involved, whether there is an issue of marech with regards to with regards to n- n- uh, man-made materials in the sponges, nylon materials, etc. I don't know what these sponges are made out of, but whatever they are, the, the accepted custom is that whatever type of sponge it is, to squeeze out of a sponge would be an issa, an issa of schita. We discussed as well eyeliners and lip liners, even though you're not actually coloring the whole lip, but you're just 
making them, you're, you're just bringing out by putting a line around the lip, around the line, a line around the eye, which just brings out the, the, the eye and the lip. That again itself is an issa of severe. It's like lining a picture. If you have a beautiful picture and you put, an out, uh, you put a line around the outside to, I'm not sure how to describe it in English, but to bring out the, the picture to enhance. enhance something. Yeah, but it's more than enhancing. It's like bringing out the whole... To define, to define, that's right, to define the picture and give it a bit more bolder edges. That, that itself is a, is a malachat severe, and the same would apply to eyeliners and lip liners. We spoke about wearing talcum powder. If one puts talcum powder on just to, to um, absorb excess uh, sweat or something like that, even though it might color the, the, the skin, because when you take the talcum powder off, there might be a, a white residue left on the body, but that doesn't, that doesn't, we don't mind that, because here we're only talking about drabonon, and in a drabonon, when the intention is not for coloring, it's for something else, then that is fine, there's no problem at all. If, however, the talcum powder is placed on as a covering, or as, uh, for instance, we have some, something called uh, concealers, if you place a, a talcum powder on, so it should conceal a blemish, or you wear a concealer on a blemish, that again is severe, even though you're trying to color it into and blend it into a normal natural skin color, but that's still considered coloring because you're taking a color that already exists, a background that already exists, and you're adding a different color to it, adding color to a background for the sake of the color is a problem of severe. We discussed sitting in the sun on Shabbos. Can one sit in the sun just in order to get a suntan? And we said it's enormous machlekes aposkim. Moshe Franklin was very strict about not sitting in the sun on Shabbos. You are allowed to sit in the garden for fresh air, even though you're in, in direct line of the sun. You might end up with a tan, but your intention is not to sit there for the tan. Your intention is to sit there to enjoy the, 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 the few days of nice weather that we have. That's absolutely fine. But to sit there in order to get a suntan, that's forbidden on Shabbos according to Rav Moshe. Wearing suntan lotion, if it's a liquid lotion, we said it's fine, because the, 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 the suntan lotion doesn't actually do anything to the skin. It doesn't dye the skin. It is no problem with severe. There's no mamareach because it's liquid. If it is liquid, if it's a cream, that's a different problem. But if it's a liquid uh, uh, lotion, then that's fine. After suntan lotion, after sun lotion, we said is already a problem of refuah, and that we have to discuss separately because that's a, 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 a new issue of refuah. Is it healing the skin? Is there a real issue here of, of of, of sarcoma to the skin. We discussed that briefly in the previous year, and that, that's relevant to after sun lotion. We also discussed sealing sprays. Now, we couldn't quite get to the bottom of what a sealing spray is, because I've never seen a sealing spray in my life, but uh, it was quite clear that there are some sealing sprays which are clear and, actually, and add no color at all to, to the face, and then they should be permitted on Shabbos. However, a sealing spray that does add any sort of color, or any sort of sheen, or any sort of um, enhancement to the color, that would be a problem of severe on Shabbos too. And I think that really briefly takes us to where we got to in the previous show. And what we want to discuss today, and it's a bit more of a controversial subject, is the subject of nails. Nails is something we'd like to discuss today, and most of the discussion that we want to talk about is going to be off the point with regards to Shabbos, because many of the issues which are around nails are not just Shabbos-related issues. However, before we start, we will go through the Shabbos-related issues. Nails come in many different forms and shapes. Nail varnish. Now, the old-fashioned nail varnish was you went to a chemist and you bought yourself a little jar where it had a little liquid and you put a little brush and you... I don't know if anybody still even knows what they are anymore. Yeah? But, and you would brush your nails with some sort of color, irrelevant, whichever color it is, whatever color you brush, whatever color you would place on your nail, even if it's what we'd call clear nail varnish, clear nail varnish is still going to add a shine, it's going to add something to the nail. If it wouldn't, you wouldn't be wearing it. So you wear it in order to add some sort of shine, and that's supposed to be beautiful, and therefore any color that you add to your nail is severe, and therefore you have the problem of severe again. There are three, uh, that you, in, in, the, in the audience, you probably have to tell me a bit more than, than I know, but to the best of my knowledge, there's three different types of nail varnishing 
around in the market. There's probably more, but three basic types. The one is the basic one which you can do yourself. There's another one which is called shellac, which is a little bit more um, sophisticated, and to the best of my understanding, you can't place it on yourself. Is that right? You need to go to a, uh, to a professional, to a, a parlor, or to somebody who comes to your house, depends how carefully you are walking into these places, and they will place, they will professionally put this nail varnish on your nail. And again, in order to remove it, I you need to go back... Well, well, no, we're just talking about what they are. We're just talking about what they are. We're talking about a few different subjects with the nail varnish. Nail varnish is a very complex area of, of, uh, of cosmetics. You then have to go to a nail parlor or some professional to place it on, and then in order to remove it, you have to go back to a professional to get it removed. Um, sorry? The right tools, okay, understandably, understandably. If you have the right tools, I do know that we have tried to, in, in, in the past, for a lot of reasons, to remove nail varnish, shit like from people's nails, and it's taken them hours and hours and didn't get anywhere. Um, but it, it's more professionally put on and professionally removed. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, the best of my understanding here, the shit like sticks to the nails, but when the nail grows, it, there is a still a, a part of the nail which is revealed, which is, which is without the nail varnish. Am I right? Yes. Right. Now, there's another type of nail varnish, to the best of my understanding, I don't know what it's called, and you can even tell me what it's called, where again it's placed on professionally, it's much more permanent, and for somehow or other it prevents the nail from growing, and therefore the nail doesn't grow and you don't actually see any nail, all you see is a coloured nail. Again, that's placed on professionally, and it's removed professionally. Whether it's healthy for the nail, I can't tell you, but these are the three different types, the best of my understanding, these are three different types of nail varnishing that you can find. Now, every single one irrelevant when it comes to Shabbos, all of them are halakhli forbidden. You can't place on any colouring on your fingernail on Shabbos. There is no question about it. You'll be transgressing the it's of Tzavir. It could even be that if you place the nail varnish which is more permanent, perhaps semi-permanent, that might even be a greater problem of Tzavir. But don't forget, the more difficult it is to take off, to remove, and the longer, the more permanent the colour is going to be there, the greater the issue is. Now, is nails a background which is normal for severe? I can't tell you. But if it is, then you could be transgressing even a Malachah de Reiter. If it isn't, then the minimum you're going to be transgressing is a Malachah de Rabbonin. So, however, to wear makeup, nail varnish on Shabbos, place it on a Shabbos, you can wear it on Shabbos, you can have it on a Shabbos, but to put it on, place it on your nails on Shabbos will be an Issa of severe. And that's simple, and that's all we need to know when it comes to Hilka Shabbos. Are we clear? Where we want to discuss now is something, a new era completely, and that's called the halachas of Chatzitza. We all wash our hands regularly for Hamotzi. We all wash our hands regularly for Hamotzi, and the Meshuchan tells us in Hilchas Netilat Yudayim, when we wash our hands for Hamotzi, the Meshuchan tells us the opening, one of the opening lines in the Meshuchan is that all the Chatzitzas that apply for Mikvah, when a person has to immerse himself in the Mikvah, there's halachas of Chatzitza, those same Chatzitzas apply when it comes to washing your hands for Hamotzi. So we're talking about something which is extremely relevant on a day-to-day basis, because most people will wash once a day, and if not once a day, at least once a week on Shabbos, twice a week on Shabbos, they'll be washing their hands for Hamotzi. This is a lot of relevant to make a difference what age, and what, 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 where you are in Kali Israel, who you are, you are going to eventually, somewhere along the line, at least once a year when it comes to Pesach, Hamotzi Matzah, you're going to be washing your hands for Hamotzi. And therefore, the halachas of Chatzitza for washing your hands are extremely relevant. And the Shukhanah tells us that That just as when it comes to a person immersing themselves in, in, into any mikvah to purify themselves from any, any level of uncle- un- uncleanliness, any level, any level of impurity, there's halachas of chatzitza. The same halachas apply when it comes to 
washing your hands. Now, the basic rules of Chatzitza, we'll go to the basic rules of Chatzitza without going into any detail at all. The basic rules of Chatzitza are as follows. If a, a man, a man became Tommy, and therefore, in the time of the base of Mikdash, would have to go to the Mikvah in order to purify himself, so he can eat Kotshim, whatever it may be, he wants to eat Chulun, Ataris, Akkadish, irrelevant, he went to a Mikvah to, pur- to purify himself, then the rules are as follows. If he goes into Mikvah wearing a bodysuit, Understandably, the body suit covers the, the, the body, the, com- the complete body. He hasn't gone into the mikvah at all. He is not purified, and he's complete not a waste of time. If he goes in wearing a half body suit, the only half of the body is covered, is ruboy, just over half of the body is covered. And uh, understandably, most people don't have a body suit on them 24-7. It's a type of clothing that you're going to take off eventually. Tonight, when you get to bed, you're going to take it off. The next morning, you're going to take it off. It's not intended to be there long term so it's ruboy, it's covering the majority of the body umakpid, and you are concerned that it shouldn't remain there then min it's not considered a tvila you have not done a tvila it's a chatzitza and your tvila is invalid you remain as impure as you were before you went in you might have had a nice swim but you had absolutely nothing to do with, with purifying yourself you completely and utterly remain impure if it's covering only part of the body. So you have a chatzitza, you have a sock, and it's covering only part of the body. Then, midrabonon. <coughs> so let's start, let's go down. Where again? The whole body is no good. Rove the body and you don't want it there, it's also no good. Rove the body and you don't mind it being there. So again, the whole body, no good. Half the body, over half the body, you have this suit which is over half the body, and of course you don't want it there for good, then min is not considered a tefillah. If it's over half the body, and you don't mind this, whatever it is saying there for good, whatever it may be, rubai she'enoimakbid, he doesn't mind it being there forever, then min that's called a tefillah, there's no chassid to that, midrabonon is not called a tefillah. If you have a part of the body covered, a sock, and you don't want the item there for good, like a sock, you're going to take it off when you go to bed, then midrabonon, that's not a tefillah. Min that's fine, because it's only part of the body. But midrabonon, it's not called a tefillah. If you have a small amount of chatzitza on you, a sock, which you don't mind keeping on forever, you don't, it doesn't bother you, it's a meal, she'en noi makvit, that's not a chatzitza, and that's valid, the tefillah is valid, even midrabonon. So let's run through that once more. If you have a person completely covered, and they go into the mikvah to purify themselves, a waste of time. If they're only partially covered, but the majority of the body is covered, if it's with a covering that you intend to take off, then min it's considered invalid, you have not tovered at all. If it's a covering which you don't mind keeping on for good, very strange scenario, but a covering you don't mind keeping on for good, then min then midrabonon, it's not a valid tefillah. Min it's fine, midrabonon, it's not a valid tefillah. If you're covering only a small amount, and the small amount is relevant, how small? Tiny amount, small amount. If it's an amount of covering that bothers you, and you would like it taken off, your tefillah is invalid in the drabonon. If it's a covering of a small amount, which you don't mind there being there for good, then even midrabonon is fine, and the tefillah is absolutely fine. So, let's come back to our hands. We're going to wash our hands for Hamoitzi. Says the Mechab and Shulchan we have to make sure that there is no chassit on our hands. So, let's run through the same rules with our hands. Now, before we start, hands is enormous machlekes, where we wash our hands till the wrist. So that's only the chumrah. The most opinions are that the hands that need washing is the until the end of the fingers. So when we are deciding a rave and a meal, what's called the majority and what's called this, the minority, we're not discussing our whole hand really, we're discussing just till the end of the fingers. Right? 
But let's, for argument's sake, we're not going to get, go down that route. We're just going to talk about large majority and minority. So if I wash my hand with a glove, I'm wearing a, a plastic glove that I was washing up, and then I take a keli and I wash my hand, and I forgot to take my plastic glove off. Have I washed my hands from Oitzi? And the answer is definitely not, because I have my complete hand covered. It's been washed with something, chatzitza, something complete hand covered. It's as if I haven't washed my hands. I haven't washed my hands. If I have a bandage on one finger, or should I say a bandage on three fingers, I have a bandage of three fingers, so I've covered three fingers. The roy, that's the majority of my hand. And I don't want that bandage to remain there for good. I want it to come off in a few days' time. And I then do Natilasidaim. I have washed my hands with a chatzitza of a ruboy, which I don't want on my hand. No good. It's not called a Natilasidaim. If I have a plaster on one finger, which I don't want there for good, I want it to come off. It's a meal, but I don't want it there. I intend to take it off very, very soon, and I wash my hands, then midrabonon, I will have a problem. I have a meat, hamakvit. I have a meat which I don't want there, that's no good. If I have a satita on my finger, which I don't mind, and I'm quite happy to walk out with that piece of dirt on my finger, nobody bothers, it doesn't bother me, and I don't care, and I'm quite happy to do that, I wash my hands, then I wash my hands, that's fine, even though there's a small satita there. But since I don't mind, since I don't mind, it's not a problem. It's medically necessary. It's obviously temporary. Ask Shaila. Medically necessary is, is, is borderline because I need it there. So I want it there now, but I don't, I don't want to get involved in all the, the nitty gritty. I'm building up to one specific area of Shaila. Nothing more, nothing else. Now, the Meshuganach tells us, that, for an example, if you are somebody who deals in dyes, you're someone who deals in dyes. So when you're dealing in dyes, your hands are going to be coloured regularly. But since you're someone who deals in dyes, and it's actually very good at advertising for you, you go around and you show everybody, look at my hands, they're all, look at the colours, amazing, purple, blue, yellow, white, unbelievable. You don't mind walking around with your hand with dye on it, then it's not a chatzitza. If, however, you're not someone who deals in dyes, you happen to be walking by, or went to visit your friend who does deal in dyes, and you've got your hands filthy, and you're highly embarrassed to walk around with your, because you're an accomplished lawyer, you don't want to walk around with your hands all, uh, I'm not just uh, somebody who deals and dies, I'm a really accomplished person, and it's embarrassing for you. So it's, there's a colours on your hand which you don't want, then you have a problem when it comes to intimacy. So, are we clear? So I think you all understand where we're getting to. Now, let's talk about fingernails. I've now taken my fingernails and I've painted them, purple. I want to paint them purple. I like the colour purple. I should say green because I like the colour green. <laughs> I paint them green because I like the colour green. And I go out with my fingernails painted green. I walk out with them. I'm quite proud of them. I make sure everybody can see that my fingernails are green. I really, really want my fingernails to be green. So, is the majority of my hand covered? Nobody's fingernails, however long they are, is ever going to become the majority of your hand. Right? So, all I've done is I've covered part of my hand. Part of my hand now depends. Do I want the colour there? Or do I not want the colour there? If I want the colour there, no problem at all. If I don't want the colour there, then it's a problem. So, says the Shokhanor, if something is done for beauty, if something is done for beauty, I want to beautify myself by colouring my fingernails. If that's the case, then I want it there. I want it there for a good reason. It's there, Lenoy, it's there for beauty. It becomes part of my fingernail. It's considered a little cutita which I want there doesn't bother me. I can happily wash my hands, I can do Natilisha dime without any issues whatsoever. Whatsoever at all. If, however, I get to the point where some of my nails have lost its colour, some of it came off. I went to a professional and they didn't do a good job and three nails are now without the colour and two are with the colour. And when I go out shopping and I 
pay the cashier, I pay like this so they shouldn't see the, the, the fingernails which are on, the fingernails which are off. So I'm embarrassed really to have those two nails with the colour. And I don't want that colour there. I have a real problem. Because I have two nails which has real, we can even call it dirt now because it's not beautiful anymore, something external stuck on my hand which I don't want there. It's a meal, it's only a small amount, but the rule is a meal tamak with a small amount which you don't want there. There's a problem. Gold chip. Chip as well, yes. I don't know what it's called. You, you, you all know better than I do what I'm referring to. Same would apply if you're, if you're wearing the fingernails, the, finger, the, the nail varnish, and your nails grow. And you have this ugly line of nail underneath the nail varnish. And again, you haven't actually had time. You've been so busy to go back to the professionals to get it taken off, etc., etc. And all this, all it does is add more complications. If you could take it off yourself, well, quite fine. You take it off, put a bit of nail varnish remover on, remove it, and you'll be fine. But where you have to go back to the professionals, it really makes life much more complicated. And who's got time to spend every week, every two weeks, back in the professionals to get the fingernails? Some people, maybe they do, but it's very difficult. And therefore, you end up walking around quite embarrassed right and hoping that nobody's watching you'll never go to Chasna looking like that at all you would never go out with your fingernails half painted you now have a problem if therefore your fingernails are half painted you have a miut a makbid on your finger and you're washing palm waiting you really have a problem you really do have a problem I think we should all take courses on fingernails and buy the right equipment so we can uh... that is the, the, the most complex daily halachas when it comes to fingernails. It's going to re- really, really does become complicated. Fingernails is a wonderful thing to do. It's, I'm not getting involved in the rights and wrongs of painting fingernails. And it might be the most best, nicest thing in the world to do, but you have to be aware that by painting your nails, uh, particularly with a mo- more professional type of fingernail painting, you are going to end up somewhere along the line entering into some problems. Therefore, if you do go down the route of having it professionally painted, be aware that you might need to rush back at some point in time and get them removed. When we're talking about somebody for a real thriller, for, for, for unclean, for, for impurity reasons, and they have to go to mikvah, there it's much more complex. There it's much more complex. Because even though we allow you to wash your hands, the Shulchanach allows you to wash your hands when it's dying, even though you have fingernail varnish on, you have, uh, you have a color on you, because it's the noise, beautiful, when it comes to thriller, a real thriller, in a mikvah, there the Ramal is much more strict. And the Ramal tells us, even something which is done, and it's not really a, 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 a However, we don't have anything on us whatsoever. So therefore, fingernail varnish is something that can't ever be worn when one needs to be immersed in the mikra proper. Because there, the, the rule is much stricter. The rule is nothing, nothing on you. And the same applies to makeup. Technically speaking, makeup is something which is placed on a person to beautify them. Whether it does or it doesn't is a bone of contention, but that's what, that's what it's all about. We wear makeup so that we should look beautiful. That is the reason why we wear it, Lenoi. And something which is Lenoi, technically speaking, is not a Chatzitza. But the reason why, when it comes to it immersing in a mikvah and the halakhas of Chatzitza, there we don't allow anything. No makeup, no nail varnishes, nothing. Because the remark says quite explicitly that we don't allow anything unless it's a the ever situation. So, on a standard person washing the hands from Tilsi Daim, or any person that ever needs to go to a mikvah for, to, to purify themselves, there, the, the, the rules are slightly different. Washing your hands as long as you have Lenoi, it looks nice and you're happy to walk out with them, that's not a problem at all. If you're not happy to walk out, you're embarrassed to walk out with them, it is a problem. When it comes to mikvah, it's much, much, much more serious. And there, unless it's a bizarre situation and the question has been asked to somebody who understands Allah as well and understands the makes up, make, makes, make ups, well, what's the word? The makeup. Well, then you really have to make sure that there's no 
makeup or no fingernail varnish there whatsoever. Are we clear? A ring is a much more complex scenario. A ring, the problem with a ring is that we do take our rings off periodically. Many people take the rings off when they have a bath. Many people take the rings off when they need their dough. And therefore the Shulchan does say you should take your ring off when you're washing your hands until you die, or if somebody's immersing themselves in the mikvah again, they have to take their rings off. And rings are a huge problem. Because you can very often, if, you've been, if your kitchen's hot and you've been working all day, uh, your finger will swell. Your finger will swell. And your finger swells. It's very hard to get the ring off. Very, very, very difficult. So my advice is always make sure that your ring is in, in a position that it can come off. And if it does swell, come around. I'll give you some very good ideas how to take them off. I don't think I want to st- explain them in public because they are quite gruesome. Sometimes soapy water works. If it doesn't always work. Depends on how, how strong it is. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, ice packs sometimes work, sometimes they don't work. There are other methods as well, a little bit more painful. Your finger stays on, don't worry. <laughs> and usually we can manage to get your finger, your, your, your uh, uh, ring off. In fact, the only way I, I learned how to do all this is there was one Friday night. That we, we have every Friday night here in Shul, we have on, in the winter, a, somebody gives a shear after, after marriage. And one week, a uh, gentleman was giving a share, and at the back of the shul there was a young boy standing at the back of the... I thought, very nice, he's listening to the share. It's very, very, uh, you know, I thought it was very, very nice of the boys. I'm listening to the share. And we finish the share, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and everybody gets up, says thank you, and we all go home, say good shabbos, and everybody walks out, and the boy's still standing there. And I thought, it's amazing, we do chazor on the share, it's, it's uh, really amazing. And eventually I walk to the back and I say, is everything all right? And he points to me, if any of you remember from the, uh, when we come for a chuppah, there's two rings at the back of the shul, screwed into the, so we can put the red rope down for the chuppah. And he had his finger stuck inside. And he says to me, I'm very sorry, but I just can't get my finger out. So we called Dr. Yossi and he showed us all the tricks of the trade, how to remove rings when they were stuck. His finger was completely and utterly stuck and we managed to get it off. It took us a bit of a while, but we got it off. So that's where my expertise comes from. <laughs> so, so if you ever do come to a chuppah and shul, don't put your fingers inside there. <laughs> sometimes, and again, I don't know much about this, sometimes it was, it, was, it was brought to my attention and those in the know will be able to tell me if this is true or not. Even when you get the nail varnish professionally removed, there is sometimes a residue left, either small bits of the nail varnish left on the, on the nail, or even an undercoat left on the nail. Now, if the small bits are something which would bother a person, they do come off after 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it is. But if those small bits are something which would bother you, then again you have a problem, because you have a small amount of something on your fingernail which you don't want there. If the undercoat is visible and it bothers you, again you have a problem. So if one wants to make sure that one doesn't have any shilas, one should make sure that the nail varnish is removed well in advance of any washing hands or any immersion in a mikvah or whatever it may be so that there is no problem of chatzitza whatsoever. Nail varnish is a complex halachic. Halachically complex. They're wonderful things but as, as technology becomes more advanced and they become more permanent and become more real the issues become slightly greater. The issues become slightly greater. You have a so it depends why the plaster. If the plaster is there because by taking it off it's going to be it's going to bleed again. So then at that point in time you really want the plaster there, so there's more room to be to be making. It's only a small amount and you want it there. So there's more room to be making. But if you just have a plaster there because there's something you don't want to see, then that will be problematic. Yeah. 
because you don't really want the fasters to remain on. Uh, it, the whole halachas of Matilda's dime are not really, it's not really the venue, and maybe one day we should go through the halachas of Matilda's dime. I just wanted to point out the complications of nail varnish, etc. I want to move, we've got a few more minutes, I want to move into a slightly new area, which is relevant, I'm sorry, you want to ask something? If it's half off, are you allowed to peel off nail varnish and shavas? It's not the end of the world if it can come off. If it can come off. If it can come off easily, yeah. If it's using solutions is, 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 is a bit more complex. Yeah. But I'm not sure if you can peel it off. The non-permanent ones, most of them can. Okay, there you are. You see, you told me something today. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move into a slightly new area. A slightly new area. We want to eventually build up to the halachas of brushing hair, brushing shadows. I don't think we'll get that this week because I want to move off slightly on a tangent onto another area. But there's another one of the lamentation halachas which is relevant for Shabbos for grooming or Shabbos, and that is the halacha of goizes. A lot of goizes is in the time of the base of Mikdash, they needed wool in order to make the, the time of the Mishkan, they needed wool in order to make the coverings for the Mishkan, <coughs> and therefore they would shear, goizes means to shear a, a sheep, and shearing a sheep became one of the Lama Tesmalachas. You're not allowed to shear a sheep, including in shearing a sheep, at the end of the day, most human beings are animal-like, and therefore, just like shearing a sheep is a malacha of goizes, shearing your head, your hair is also, any hair is a malacha of goizes. Shearing any hair, any body hair, any hair on the head is considered goizes. Now, in order for goizes to be goizes, it's got to be done in a normal fashion. So, shearing an animal has got to be done using a pair of shears. Or an animal, a pair of a machine that, that, uh, that you use to shear sheep. If you do it in, in an unusual manner, kilachiyad, like any malacha. Kilachiyad is not a malacha derisa, but will be a malacha drabon. will be a malacha drabon. So, to take a piece of wool and pull it by hand out of a sheep, you never do that because it's very painful for the sheep, and that's not how it's done. So the kilachiyad, you won't transgress an isadaraita, but you will transgress an isadarabonon. Same applies to, to removing hair from a person. If I remove the hair from a person in a normal manner, malachadaraita. If I remove hair from a person in an unusual manner, that's a malachadarabonon. Now what's called normal, what's called unusual, will depend on what type of action you're doing. So for instance, the Vialacha talks about somebody pulling out a white hair, a woman, let's talk about a woman because a man is, is more problematic, a woman pulling out a white hair, she's got a white hair amongst all her black hair and she's very embarrassed about it, so it comes to she takes a pair of tweezers and she pulls out the white hair. That's quite normal, you never take a machine, you're not going to take a number north, a number zero machine and try to get the white hair out, because you'll be more embarrassed by the end than you will be with the white hair. So you're never going to do this in, an unusual, in, in, a, in a normal way, you're going to always pull that white hair out using a pair of tweezers or using your hand. So therefore there, extracting that white hair is considered perfectly normal. Perfectly normal. And therefore, to do that on Shabbos could be a malacha deraisa of goizis, but at least definitely a malacha drabonim. Same would apply, for instance, tweezing one's eyebrows. Tweezing one's eyebrows is one of, the, one of the, the things I can never fully understand. The amount of pain people are prepared to go, for, go through in order to, presumably to look beautiful, take a pair of tweezers and you pull out, one by one, the hairs of your eyebrows. Now, you never take a machine to pull out the hairs of the eyebrow. You might take some wax or something else, some other modern technology, but you're really, what you're doing is you're forcibly by hand pulling out hairs from your eyebrow. Painful as it is, mad as it might be, but that is the perfectly normal way of doing it. If that's the normal way of doing it, if you come and get up Shabbos morning, you've got a wonderful simcha ahead of you, and you come to the mirror in the bathroom, you've just washed your face, and you look in the mirror and you say, oh, babe, my eyebrows look terrible. Uh, how can I be seen dead or alive looking like that? I can't chas go to short, it's impossible. To take a pair of tweezers and straighten out, or round out, wherever you want to be, your eyebrows would be a malacha the right of goizes, you'd be transgressing this to the right. Can't do that whatsoever. You can't do that whatsoever. 
The removing of eyebrows would be a malacha derisa. On your hair, might be only jabon. You pull out hair of your beard, you pull out the hair from your head by hand, only jabon. But tweezing eyebrows would be a malacha derisa. Now I want to move off on a tangent, we've got five more minutes, ten more minutes, I want to move off on a tangent and discuss what's known as permanent <coughs> eyebrows. Permanent eyebrows is, was fashionable in the 60s and it's become very fashionable again recently, where they remove, completely remove, using wax, whatever it may be, the eyebrows completely, and then they inject at any given shape which they outline on the face an ink underneath the skin, and you then have a permanent eyebrow which lasts for ending up three months up to six months, saves you a lot of bother, and you can walk around looking in inverted commas beautiful for a long time, and you don't need to do anything about it. Permanent eyebrows. Now, permanent eyebrows is halakhically enormously complex. Enormously complex. When it comes to the halakhas of tefillah, it's not a problem at all, because a chatzitsa, if you have a splinter in your finger or in your hand, which is below skin level, there's absolutely no problem at all. Anything which is below skin level, even though it's visible, if it's below skin level, it's not considered a chatzitsa. If you have a splinter in your hand, and you, you really do not like taking splinters out, as long as it's below skin level, you can wash your hands without any problem at all. If it's above skin level, then you have to remove it, because it's chatzitsa. So therefore, here's why, these, these permanent eyebrows, when it comes to the halakhas of tefillah of chatzitsa, they're fine, they're no problem at all. It's way below the skin level. There's an ink which is injected, uh, it's, Press them with needles into the, the area around the eyebrow and it creates this shape. Don't look at me, this is a very common... Uh, uh, it, that's what we're going to discuss now. But it doesn't last forever, it lasts only for a few months, it eventually disappears and of course you have to go back and get it redone again. Um, and, and the process repeats itself. So when it comes to Chatzitsi, you have no problem at all. But here we enter into a new, really huge halachic shayla of tattooing. A really huge halachic shayla of tattooing. This comes up in many areas in life. We're going to talk about it with regards to permanent eyebrows, but it does come up in other areas as well, where perhaps there's more room for leniency, as we'll discuss in a moment. The Torah tells us that it's forbidden to tattoo. The Torah calls it, the word of the Torah is kasevas kakea. Kasevas kakea means to scrape and to write. What they would do in the olden days when it came to tattooing, they would scratch the wording that you wanted to imprint on the body, whatever it may be. Primarily it was done for avoid or it was done for idol worship. You would, sorry? Scratching was not the morning, not the writing. You would scratch the wording on your body, whichever part of the body you wanted, you would scratch the wording on, and then you would place on it a certain ink, which would then settle into the wound, settle into the scrape, scratch, and remain there permanently. The Torah calls that Ksavas Kakea. The Mishnah in the Sefer's Nakis discusses the love of tattooing, the love of tattooing, and the Mishnah has a, a, an argument there between two Tanoim, whether Service kake is also whether tattooing is only forbidden for the sake of a or is tattooing forbidden at all? Just anybody fancies tattooing, which again is something which is beyond human understanding, but there's many people who are making a lot of money on tattooing. Uh, if you manage to persuade enough people, much foolish people, to go and, and inject themselves with, with silly ink and look stupid, you're going to make a lot of money. So a lot of people make money on tattooing. Is tattooing a issa or not? It depends on this machlekes. If it's only also for a desor, then it'll only be a desor. If it's also completely, it'll be us, and we're talking about biblically also, it will be us even not love with Zohar. Use Machlechus in the Rishonim, how we Paskin. Do we Paskin is only us of Avoy the Zohar? Do we Paskin is us even not Avoy the Zohar? Shulchan Aruch says quite clearly that tattooing, service Kake is forbidden, even not love with Zohar. However, even the one, the Mandama who says, even the person, the Tana who says it's only us love with Zohar, Rashi says very clearly, that's only Midrashah, but Midrashah, it will be us even if it's not love with Zohar. So whichever way you turn, 
to tattoo, just a plain tattoo, to go to a tattoo parlor and imprint on, on, on yourself your name. My name is Mr. Greenberg and I thought imprint it on my arm in case nobody knows who I am so I can walk around and everybody can see me. It's forbidden, at least with Rabbonon and Kuntas Shuchanach, even Min Hatayah. Next question is, is tattooing only if you write letters or is it even if you just make a mark? The wording of the Torah is Kesevah Kakea. Kesevah comes from Kesiva, which means to write. And therefore the, un- the simple understanding of the Pasuk is that only if you write you will transgress any stone. Here we have a range of Rishonim and Achronim. Is it one letter? Is it, only, is it two letters? Is it even one letter? Or is it no letters at all? If I write one letter, two letters, I will definitely transgress the, the love of If I write one letter, is a discussion. Even no letters is a discussion. But again, the Shulchan Aruch, the Pesach brings down from the male stalker, that even if you take on that the tattooing is only forbidden if you write letters, but Midrabon will be asking without letters. Third issue is, service Kakea is only after if it's permanent. If it's not permanent, it's not service Kakea. Again, we have this discussion, what's called permanent. How permanent is permanent? Is permanent only forever and it will never come off? Or is permanent like we learned when it comes to Seveya on Shabbos? It's permanent, it means it's going to stay there for a long time, but, and it's going to be very difficult to remove, but doesn't actually have to be there forever. So we don't really have answers to all these questions, and it's quite clear that even non-permanent, not forever, is still rabbinically awesome. Therefore, to use what we call semi-permanent eyebrows is transgressing a halacha of kasovis kakeh, at least midrabonon, at least midrabonon, at least midrabonon. And therefore, we try and avoid it, we tell people it's awesome, and there's absolutely very little heta out there to be makel on permanent eyebrows. You might find one turabon on the but if you ask my, my uh, unlearned opinion, it's only because they haven't learned through the sugi properly and they don't realize, don't understand what semi-permanent uh, eyebrows are. Somebody really understands what it is, they will see it quite clearly fits into the category at least midrabonon of Kosovo's Kakea. However, since it's midrabonon, it's not as strict as a derisor. And therefore there are, there is sometimes room for leniency. However, a, a competent rock has to be asked. So, for instance, somebody who's suffering from alopecia and is very highly embarrassed to walk around without any hair on them, and alopecia will mean they have no eyebrows, no eyelashes, nothing, and it can be highly embarrassing. There's room to manoeuvre because it's drabonon, and because we're dealing with COVID habrius, there's room to, I'm not giving you a heter now, don't say that I've given a heter, but it's definitely worth asking a shayla because there's room to manoeuvre. It's not worth asking a shayla when it comes to wearing semi permanent eyebrows just for the sake of beauty it's not worth it because any competent rob will tell you it's also but when it comes to somebody who's suffering there's much more room for manoeuvre anybody who Achman is, is, has a, a has or a, a questionable Yenamachla and before they they treat they often mark the area around with a semi-permanent again similar style ink which stays there it doesn't stay there very longer it stays there for a short while but again even if there would be a problem of it's only at worst going to be drabonon, and we're talking about the soyachayli, talking about the need for somebody who's unwell. Then we can. There's much more room to maneuver. So though the, the subject matter, the area will come up time and time again in different areas of life. There, there's room for maneuver. There, there is a little bit more room to play because we're dealing primarily with the drabonon. When it comes to just for beauty, covered abrius doesn't apply. When it comes to just for beauty, a person's imaginary beauty. And let's be honest, and I'm not, I'm not in any way being negative to anybody and any woman. At the end of the day, beauty is all in the eye of the beholder. It's an English statement, and that's the reality of life, that beauty is imaginary. What I call beauty, and what you call beauty, and what my wife calls beauty, and what everybody else calls beauty, each one's got their own view, and therefore beauty is not covered up risk. We can't call me wanting to wear permanent, semi-permanent eyebrows for beautifying myself as covered up risk. You can't do that, and therefore there's no heter whatsoever to wear semi-permanent eyebrows.
That brings us to the end. We want to discuss Metashem in the next year. We want to talk about about brushing hair, brushing shetels, Metashem, and spraying hair and spraying shetels. Whether they, they are hairsprays, whether they're mutter or forbidden on Shabbos and Yom Tov. During the week, of course, they're, they're completely mutter. You can brush your hair in the week. There's no, I've got no area of halacha which I'm going to come across which is going to tell you you can't brush your hair during the week. And you can spray your hair as much as you like during the week. And you can brush your shetels and spray it and spend as much money on styling them as you like. But when it comes to Shabbos and Yom Tov, we will go through Be'ez Hashem Barichas in the next year. We'll, we'll recap everything that we've learned briefly and finish off with the uh, combing of your hair and brushing of your hair Be'ez Hashem in two weeks' time. Just a very short, I think we're really running late, a short, I tell you, this week is Hashem Pinchas. Uh, next week is the beginning of the three weeks. On Tuesday is Shivasa Thomas. Shivasa Thomas starts next week. The three weeks are always the three most difficult weeks of the year. They're the three weeks where historically the all travelers in Kosovo always found themselves or began at least in the three weeks. They're the three weeks which Chazal tell us are really the domain of the Sotan and that's why they are so difficult to manoeuvre and it's very important for us to be able to get through them safe and sound and get through them with the right understand what they were all about and with the right approach. What's interesting is that the Three weeks nearly always starts with the first Shabbos being Pashas Pinchas or is preceded by Shabbos Pashas Pinchas. Most years Pashas Pinchas is the first Shabbos in the three weeks. You then have Matis, uh, Matis and Masse as the second Shabbos and Devarim as the third Shabbos. This year, because of the way the calendar fell and it was a leap year, so Pinchas falls the week before the three weeks and we have Matis, Masse and Bamidba as the three weeks. But Pinchas is oh, as the Advarim, sorry, Advarim as the three weeks. We always have Pinchas either as the Shabbos which precedes, or the first Shabbos, the opening Shabbos of the three weeks. And if you look through Pashat Pinchas, it's very interesting. Pashat Pinchas talks about, again, the second half of the Sedra, all talks about the Chobonis and the Yom Tevim. The Chobonis and Yom Tevim. And the Sforim tell us the reason why the three weeks start with, starts with Pashat Pinchas, always preceded with Pashat Pinchas, is because when we get, comes to the three weeks, we often get despondent. Three weeks, we realize that Saras applied as well. And you go through the history of the Bish, but the Mikdash were destroyed three weeks. We came to all the Torah and Council, the Spanish, the Spanish expulsion, wherever it is, and even the Second World War, if you trace it back to its origins, it was all within the three weeks. Everything started within the three weeks. So we begin to get a little bit despondent. Where's our base of Mikdash? Where do we see the Rebbein We can't see the Rebbein Shalom. He's not around. What's going on here? Is Mashiach going to come? Are we going to ever see the, the redemption? Or are we going to just continue having all the Torahs that we have? And therefore we begin to get a bit despondent. So therefore we lay in Pashas Pinchas, and it works out that Pashas Pinchas should fall just before the three weeks, or just at the beginning of the three weeks, where we, we, we lay in about the Yom Tevim, we lay in about the Kabbonis. We realize that there is a future there, and it gives us Chizuk to understand that there is a future there. There's the Beit HaMikdash, Beit will be rebuilt by Hashem, and there will be an end to all the Torahs. So we get a certain <laughs> element of Chizuk in order to enable us to carry through those three weeks. But the key, the key point, the key area which one has to realize, one has to remember that the three weeks is not just a time of sorrows. Because if you really look at the three weeks, and you look at it, you see we build up. The three weeks seem to increase in intensity and severity of Avelis. We start off with three weeks, a little bit of Avelis. In nine days is even greater Avelis. The weeks that Tishbov finds itself even greater. Tishbov itself is greater. And we get to the pinnacle of the the, the, the greatest point, the most deepest point of Tzah, the time when the Beit Mikdash caught light, Shabbos, uh, Tishbab, Mincha, every Tishbab, Mincha, and we suddenly stop. We suddenly stop. We suddenly turn around and we sit on a chair again and we say Nachim and everything seems to turn around and, we, and then we begin to move up. We move from there straight into the Shiva and the Chemta and right into Rosh Hashanah and the Yom Kippur and the Sukkot and the Simchas Torah. The process begins with the three weeks going down and we climb all the way up. And the Avodah here is very simple. It's one long, one long uh, procession, the one long progression of three weeks all the way down to the Simchas Torah when we end up in this total ecstasy with this greatest, tremendous 
uh, closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because in order for a person to fully appreciate and for a person to fully understand and for a person to show his true dedication to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he has to show it in the most trying of times. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to us, I'm going to give you three weeks of terrible, terrible darkness, three weeks of where you're not allowed to cross the boundaries, where you should remember that there's darkness, there seems to be no hope. But we start off and we realize it's not true. Even, at the, in, even in the greatest point, at the point when the basic mixture was, was just, just beginning to burn, and the basic mixture was just about to be destroyed, we, we turn around and we say to Rebbein Shalom, Shalom, I know that you're there. And even in the times of despair, I know you're there, I know you're with us. And it's at those points, at those moments, when we show our dedication to the Rebbein Shalom, and we show the Rebbein that we're really there for him, at the, the darkest of times, that we're really then turning around and bringing the greatest revelation to, to be revealed. Because at that point, at the point of darkness, if you stay dedicated, then what you're doing is you're bringing the revenge on him even into the darkest of moments. So we build up with the three weeks. Yes, it's a dark time, it's a difficult time. But remember, there's a Pasha Fintas which, which precedes it, which tells us that there is going to be a Beis HaMikdash Metashem, there's going to be Kabonis, there's going to be Yom Tavim, there's going to be all the tremendous ecstasy of the Beis HaMikdash being rebuilt. But even without that, we can see that even now, even in the time of Taurus, it's not real Taurus, it's just a cover-up. There is a Rebbeinah Shalom there. And this Taurus is itself the one that's going to build up and bring us to the Simchat Taurus, to the Beis HaGayel, to the Gullish name of Mehebi Yomeinu, Amen, Amen.